Gaming designer Sean Gonsalves joins us now on the line to give an inside perspective on how games are created. Sean, thanks so much for coming to the rescue tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it was a bit rushed, but hopefully I'll be able to add a bit of you know knowledge to this talk. Tell us about what you do in terms of game design. Um, cool. So I've done a wide variety of things over the years. Um, I've been a lead artist in some projects. I've been a game designer as well. I've lectured um, game design at a certain point, and currently I'm a lead QA artist. I mean, lead QA analyst, sorry, at a gaming company. And Sean, when you're designing a game, what goes into the process? Um, So it's like an incredibly difficult um, question to answer in that because there's a lot of things that you have to consider when designing a video game. So one of the main things you need to like think about when making video games is why you're making them and what your end goals are. And then with that, there's a lot of other things you need to consider, like resources and the budget you have within that and all those types of things. And that all impacts why you're designing the game and like what you're going to be doing in the end, basically. When you're designing a game, do you have an idea of who your player is? Um, generally, yes. So um, it's not really like good practice to um, make a game without having someone in mind. So most people, when they are making video games, they'll have a specific target market in mind. And most of the things they design in that instance for like move towards that space. So like if you're making a game for adults and stuff like that, let's say, um, there's a lot of new affordances you have that you might not be using for like, let's say a kid's game where, mm. so yeah, that all impacts also what you're doing. And what is the profile of a typical gamer in South Africa? profile of a typical gamer in South Africa. It's a tough one. Um, So in general, around the world, the stats have now shown that it's pretty much split down the middle 50-50, male and female. And from what I understand, South Africa follows that curve pretty accurately as well. Um, It also, you know, there's the whole debate on what is considered a real game. And there's those certain people that sit and say that, you know, people who play games on their phone, for instance, aren't real gamers. So that can also skew what you would say a typical gamer is. But if you look at just the um, the stats, pretty much the typical gamer is, you know, your 40-year-old um, female gamer who's playing like solitaire on their phone. So, yeah. <laughs> or me playing Scrabble late at night while my husband's watching Vikings. <laughs> exactly. But I certainly don't consider myself a gamer. I'm talking Call of Duty. I'm talking Fortnite. I'm talking Minecraft. Yeah, well, you see, that's the thing is that, like, it's weird how you play games and you even admit that you do, but you don't consider yourself a gamer. What makes you less of a gamer than someone that does play something like Call of Duty or Minecraft or any of those games? Well, now that's an interesting point. Yeah, even in that space, Minecraft is vastly different to a game like Call of Duty. So why can't, you know, Scrabble be in that list as well? So in that vein, then, do would a game designer use similar tactics to make Scrabble as addictive as Minecraft, for instance? So this is where, like, it becomes problematic in terms of, like, what is addictive in terms of video games, right? So there's this thing where a game like Call of Duty, right, would be addictive because it has this sense of progress and achievements and stuff like that, and people can get addicted to that because, you know, it it releases endorphins and makes you feel good, 
and stuff like that. And that'll keep them wanting to playing because, you know, they feel like they're accomplishing something. Whereas games like Scrabble, especially on mobile, if they fit into something like the free-to-play market where you can just download the game without, without having to spend any money, they have a completely different reason for why you're addicted, right? They have the same things of, oh, I'm completing puzzles and, you know, I'm beating people and getting points and so on and so forth, and I'm getting that progression. But then they also have um, other methods in there, like sending you notifications on your phone or, you know, telling you like, oh, you can't play past a certain point. You have to wait a while and then you can come back and stuff like that. And all those things kind of make your addiction worse because, you know, they're constantly reminding you of this game that you've been playing. And they're like, hey, you should come back and play this. And yeah, it's one of the things that um, I think... Netflix's um, recent documentary called The Social Dilemma actually gets into quite well, which talks more along the lines of things like Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that and how they were actually designed to um, basically prioritize keeping you on their apps for as long as possible because the more ads they show you and stuff like that, the more money they're making. So, you know, capitalism wins in those regards. So they want to keep you addicted, whereas something like Call of Duty doesn't really want to because they've already gotten the majority of their sale from you up front when you buy the game. So they want you to have a good time and enjoy the game, but they don't necessarily want you sitting there, you know, constantly playing the game. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Sean Gonzales. He's a gaming designer. We're talking about game, video games and addiction to video games. If you'd like to make a comment or ask Sean a question, please do give us a call on 021-446-0567 or send a WhatsApp on 0725671567. Sean, we have a WhatsApp in from Frederick. He says, hi, I've been in gaming design and coding since 1990. To date, gaming is big business, but it's also not suitable for children and teenagers it affects brain development can cause seizures and even death what do you say to that uh i'd like to see the sources that they're quoting because the majority i've seen are completely the opposite where there is no actual um like research in that type of stuff where it says basically that video games can cause like long-term effects in those regards Okay. Now we know um, globally that the gaming industry is worth over $150 billion. It's it's absolutely massive. It's exploding and evolving at such an insane rate. Um, in terms of the market in South Africa, what's that like? So in terms of the market in South Africa, it's also, as far as I understand, it's split pretty much the same as most global markets, whereas I think something that's bigger in South Africa is the actual mobile ma- market with you know, pretty much the majority of people in the country being able to have a cell phone and, you know, have access to those games makes the market there bigger. Um, This doesn't mean that they're obviously going to be earning more money that way, but it is something that I guess more people are playing more games on their phone than they would be on an expensive computer or an expensive console and, and the likes. And are there South African design games that are doing very well internationally? Indeed, there are. Um, there's a company down in Cape Town called Free Lives that have released some really, really big games. Um, there's been some other big companies that I can't think of off the top of my head. I know another one is QCF Design. Um, I can't remember the other ones right now. <laughs> I can't remember, sorry. As, as, as somebody that's got sort of the inside scoop, you're an industry insider, what advice would you have for parents that are concerned about their children uh, with regards to gaming? I guess, yeah, as a parent, I'd say probably the best thing is to just manage your kid's screen time. If you feel like they're spending too long in front of the uh, 
um, the game, then, yeah, just manage that. Get them outside, get them doing other activities like playing sports and stuff like that. Get them out the house a bit more. Um, that's obviously if they're able to. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that could prevent that, but yeah. One of the things that was interesting to me when I watched The Social Dilemma was how so many people in the sort of um, industry of of apps and all the rest don't use the apps themselves and don't allow their families to use the apps. Um, as somebody that's in the gaming industry, do you game yourself? I do indeed. I suppose you would have to, to be a designer, to know what works and what doesn't. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can learn from playing other people's games, yeah. And what do you think is one of the most positive things about the gaming industry? Uh, at large or in just in South Africa? At large, I'd say. That's a tough one. Um, I guess, especially now with something like the pandemic, you know, the fact that there are people who've been making video games and stuff like that and being able to release content out into the world and giving people something that, you know, can kind of take their mind off the doom and gloom as being something really great. Um, and in general, a lot of the, you know, more outspoken voices in the industry are pretty like decent people there's a lot of bad that happens in the industry as well but yeah there is definitely some good there what's the next big thing on the horizon in terms of gaming sean the next thing i don't know it seems like streaming games and all that type of stuff seems to be coming in soon with all the um you know increases to 5g and stuff like that so I think that might be where things are going. If you're just joining us, we are talking about gaming and gaming addiction. I'm chatting to gaming designer Sean Gonzales. Sean, for somebody that's aspiring to be in the gaming industry, what advice would you have? Oh, um, YouTube is a very valuable asset. Um, you can download a lot of game engines for free and you can start messing around with those things if that's something you're really interested in doing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Unity 3D as a gaming engine, and there's a lot of YouTube tutorials online if that's something you'd like to get into. Um, if you're getting close to matric and you'd like to study, there's a lot of places that are now offering degrees and courses in game design. Um, I can speak very highly of the Vitz game design course as I went through it, and I've taught there as well, so it was really good. Um, yeah, that's probably what I'd say. Great. And they are making more and more film and television adaptations about games these days. They are sort of inspiring youngsters to go into the industry. Is it realistic for somebody that's an interested gamer to think that it, it holds a future for them? That's a tough one. Um, pretty much all the people I know say that it's incredibly difficult to make a living making games, especially in South Africa, because our industry is so small. Um, it's very tough to like make games specifically. Um, there's a lot of programming jobs in the country um, and they make good money. Um, there's also a growing animation industry as well. So if you want to do art there and those skills are transferable between games and animation. Um, but yeah, it's really difficult to like get into a position where you can make a living off of making games, especially in South Africa. So yeah, it's a tough one. But if it's something you're really passionate about, passionate about, you can definitely make it work. Do a lot of South African uh, uh, game designers move overseas then? We've actually, yeah, we've had quite a few that have moved overseas, yeah, especially in recent years. Do you feel at all that it should be the responsibility of game designers to make the games less addictive? Yes, definitely. Um, if there is a problem, like, so like I mentioned earlier with the social dilemma and stuff like that, with mm. those kind of predatory um, actions that you're pr like doing to get people to play your games, it's, it's like double-headed um, sword, right? That 
um, you on the one hand need to make money so that you can, you know, pay your people who are working for you and live a normal life and stuff like that. But when you get to the point where people are actually getting addicted to your games and not doing things that they're supposed to be in their own lives, that obviously is a problem. So there definitely should be some kind of monitoring of that um, and some kind of regulations that come out from that. Um, I know overseas there's a few places that are definitely starting to look into things like loot boxes and stuff like that as they're basically gambling. And yeah, that's obviously also bad. So we'll probably we'll start seeing things like now with this documentary coming from Netflix that um, the next thing we'll start being talked about is these acts that are being done by companies to try and keep people addicted to them. Are there conversations taking place in the industry already or not yet? Not as far as I've seen. Um, but yeah, I haven't been really invested in looking into all these types of things lately. I've been extremely busy, unfortunately. <laughs> been a busy time. I'm sure during lockdown, yeah. actually, sort of gaming became even more prolific. Yeah, it's one of the things I can say I'm extremely fortunate about is that it's one of the things you can kind of work from home with as long as you have like a decent internet connection and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I just had to take a lot of the um, equipment and stuff home that I needed. But yeah, um, making games and stuff is definitely something, you know, as long as you have a computer and some internet, you can definitely do it. So, yeah. Thanks for joining us tonight, Sean. That was Sean Gonzalez, gaming designer, talking a bit about what goes on behind the scenes in terms of game design and how designers think when they are making a new game.